Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. I had a feeling going into that game we needed to be aggressive. And I loved our matchup offensively. And I just knew our guys would respond. And so, in, it's certainly in that moment, it felt like the right thing to do. And look, here, this, here's what I would say for, because I tell my family this, just wear a diaper before some of these games. And <laughs> I'll give them an alert to say, put them on and be ready to roll. You know, it's actually sage advice from Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions. The diaper serves multiple purposes while you're watching a game. Don't have to get up and go to the bathroom. Well, that's great. Right? Don't yeah. miss a thing. It's awesome. Right? Right? Yeah. Right? Great. Yeah. <laughs> great. It's just what I want to think of. Especially Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. The game takes like five hours. He said it. He said it. I mean, my first thought was, my first thought was, the diaper seepage also protects against getting your kneecaps bitten. Uh, yeah, so thank there's you. another benefit to it. <laughs> thank you. You thought about <laughs> this morning. a little too much. Uh, I don't your, know why you're thinking en- so much your, about it. Enjoy yeah. your yeah. biscuits and gravy this morning, everybody out there. It's PFT Live, Peacock, Series XM85, Sky Sports NFL, and podcast where we get your podcast. I love the attitude. I love the approach. It's gut instinct. It's an accumulation of a lifetime of football thinking about it, coaching it, playing it. Just you know in that moment what the right thing to do is. And if you're wrong, that becomes another little piece of evidence that informs your next decision when you're in that spot, inevitably at some point in the future. That's where analytics and reality have to split. You can run any number you want. You can concoct any formula under the sun. But there's no replacement for the organic computer that in some cases has had decades of experience in other cases doesn't have as much, but has a pretty good idea from all the years of being involved in football, what to do. And you just make a football decision, not a math decision. You make a football decision in that moment based upon everything that's happened that day, backed up by everything that's ever happened in your entire life. That's, how these decisions should get made, Chris. Yeah, I mean, we we agree on that, right? I mean, I, it, you know, analytics, there's certainly some big-time benefits. I totally understand that, you know. But, yes, I think being there on the field, feeling the game, the opponent you're playing, the way your offense is executing that day, what's your offensive line, how's it doing in the battle, in the trenches that day, do we feel confident there? I just think you're you're right. There's a lot of things – that go into that. Yeah, the numbers, the analytics, but feel for the football game, the situation, where your team is at energy-wise. All of those things go into, you know, are, are accounted for, at least should be, by the really good coaches. I know they are. And Dan Campbell, I feel like he's getting more like that, right? Where, you know, years past, I would have been like, and, and I appreciate his gutsiness and the fake punt week one against the Chiefs. I mean, that was probably the play of the game that helped him win the football game. 
But, you know, the, the first two years, it kind of felt freewheeling to a degree. Like, it was just like, we're going to go for it every time. We're going to go, 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 go. This year, you know, it seems a little bit more calculated and a little bit more feel for the, the situation of the game. And, 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 of course, he has a better team. And I think that he's found the right balance there of, you know, aggressive but not reckless. And that's where I appreciate Dan Campbell. And it's, it's permeated through the rest of his football team. And every decision he's making now is the product of the decisions he's made in the past. So you kind of try and fail, try and succeed, and it puts you in a better position to make those decisions each time they come up. But obviously it was that fourth down play where they were in field goal range, but they went for it. And I believe the analytics said don't go for it, right? I believe right. that was right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, but but in a 38-38 game yes. where it's up and down the field like an arena football league game, Agreed. you want to keep the ball as long as you can before you make the final kick. That's just a, a little example of where, okay, let's set aside percentages yes. and let's look what we're dealing with exactly. here. We got Justin Herbert. We got 38-38. We got a defense that really isn't doing what we need it to do today. Right. Let's not put the defense back in position after it's been out there, given up that many points, to try to prevent a game-tying field goal. And then we go to overtime. Or, help. for all anyone knows, the Chargers could have driven down the, the field and scored a game-winning touchdown with the amount of time they would have gotten back if he hadn't gone for it. So, yeah, I, I like it in that setting. And... I like in any setting, all things being considered. And that's how the rest of us, even if we're not directly involved in it, we see those situations play out. We file that away, and that helps kind of sharpen our own gut feeling for what's right in a given situation based on a game that we have sat and watched and we haven't missed a play because we've been wearing our diaper. Hey, that's disgusting. Stop saying that, okay? I've had enough of that, all right? I'd rather you say 74-letter words right now. The than, word uh, diaper. Okay. The word diaper in and of itself is not disgusting. That's not that it's bad. But when you start to put details around it, diaper. it starts it's to get disgusting, okay? But but I agree that you know, you, you know, you said it right. And with Dan Campbell, the way that game was playing out, I loved the decision. I really did. And and Justin Herbert was moving up and down the field, like you said, and there was gonna be significant time. You know, if they after that third down where they got it was a third and fourteen uh, with with 151 left, they get 12 yards. Right there's 147 at the clock. There, there the, the 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 Chargers, excuse me, were going to have time not only to go down and tie the game, but the way they had moved the ball. To your point, probably going to have a chance, maybe a few cracks at the end zone, and that's what you don't you don't want to lose the game either. So there, to me, was a calculated risk and feeling the flow of the football game that uh, I thought was the right decision and good for him and damn good for the Lions, who are 7-2. and two. We're going to watch a meaningful Thanksgiving game with the Detroit Lions next week. I can't believe it. It's been a long, long damn time since that's happened. Well, it's meaningful for them. For yeah, change, that's, yeah right. it's meaningful for right. them and not meaningful for the other team. For decades, it's been meaningful for the other team and completely meaningless For the Detroit Lions, they get a chance to steamroll the Packers the way they did back in week four on Thursday night. First time ever. Has to be first time ever. 
that two teams have met twice on short weeks. The same two teams. Yeah. This is the right. first year they're using multiple teams on short weeks or multiple times for multiple teams on short weeks. The Saints, the Bears, the Packers, the Lions, I believe, are the four teams that get the short straw, straw twice, and possibly the Steelers as well. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's going to be fun. And it's only eight days away. It's amazing how it's just kind of crept up. You get into November. Like, once you get past Halloween – it really is, before you know it, Thanksgiving and then the Christmas season where you don't want it to rush by. You want to enjoy it, and it rushes by anyway. And then it's New Year's, and then the regular season's over, and we're into the postseason. I mean, we're on the roller coaster now, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of roller coasters, I don't know if that's the best segue, but what the what the hell? What the diaper? <laughs> I won't say. <laughs> um, I, I started things up a little bit yesterday, and I wasn't trying to. Somebody I know, somebody I trust, somebody who's in the broader NFL machinery planted the idea in my head of Texas A&M making a run at Dan Campbell. And people lost their shit. Lions fans don't want to hear that. And anybody who dismisses that out of hand just doesn't get it. Look at the money in college football. Look at what they're paying Jimbo Fisher to go away. Dan Campbell is from Texas. Dan Campbell went to Texas A&M. Dan Campbell loves Texas A&M. If there's any program that he's going to think twice about, that's the one. Yeah. And if there's any program that can dump a massive bag of money, more than what he's getting paid, double or triple of what he's currently getting paid by the Lions, if they can dump that on his desk... That is at least something for him to think about. And at a minimum, maybe it gets the Fords to sell a few more Edsels so they can pay him what he deserves. But this is a great moment for him. This is his ship is coming in, and either he jumps onto a much bigger one or the one he's on recognizes what he's doing and scratches off a few more bucks to make him happy and keep him there long term. So if I'm Texas A&M, I'm calling the guy. He checks every box. And we check the box as Texas A&M of having a shitload of money to to offer to him. Just because they're paying Jim. Oh, well, they don't have the money to pay him. They're paying Jim. But you think there isn't? You think that's that's a sign the budget is depleted? That's a sign that they don't give a crap. That's a sign that they got money to burn, folks. If they can pay one guy $76 million to walk out the door, they can pay another guy $176 million to walk in the door. Yeah, uh, listen, it, it's uh, the thought makes sense. I'm with you. I mean, from every facet, I get it totally. They do have a ton of money. You're right. It is still alumni, and people like that are ponying up that money, so it's not always easy just to keep asking for a huge contract after a huge contract. We know that, too. And, you know, to the point you made, he's on the doorstep of getting a big-time extension here with the Detroit Lions, not having to recruit and babysit and deal with all that type of stuff, let alone, you know, you get up towards the upper echelons of – coaches top eight top ten coaches it's it's significantly bigger money than college coaches that that that's the other thing too you know the you know i know chris yes right what the lions have never had that who knows if the lions are going to be willing to play that game 
They've never been in this neighborhood before. The NFL right? is it's printing like money some... right now. That doesn't mean anything. I, I know. They should be able to just. Uh, and, and if they're that they're that stupid, uh, then I, they're then I don't know what uh, to say. But they got their guy finally. Hey, the organization has turned. I right. would expect the next contract to be very market friendly as far as the top coaches are concerned. If the things continue to go in the the trajectory they are there in Detroit. What should happen, what does happen with some of these teams, sometimes two different things. This is a test. This is an opportunity for the Lions to prove that they have shed 60 years of dysfunction if they recognize this guy is going to be attractive. He's extremely attractive right now, or at least should be, to his alma mater. Let's get him taken care of, and let's get him in the upper echelon of coaches. He's proven himself. We're only a year removed from them being one and six and him getting a dreaded vote of confidence from Sheila Ford Hamp. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Because it's like somebody who has lived in a tiny little shack, scratching off a lottery ticket and winning enough to buy a big house. When you buy a big house, you can't just bring the lawn chair that you used to sit and watch TV into the big house. You got to furnish it accordingly. There's a lot of expenses that go with having a big house. The utility bills are higher. Everything's more expensive. When you need something to be replaced, the invoice you get for a new dishwasher is a lot more than it would be if you, I just live, I can't relate to that. Maybe I can. And you just have to accept it. It goes with living in that neighborhood. It goes with having that house. So if the Lions are going to have nice things, there's a price to be paid for having those nice things. And usually we see it with players, but it also applies to coaches. And it doesn't apply as strongly to coaches, Chris. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of like this story. It's a broader message to the NFL, which I think, I believe, it's my opinion, don't sue me, Big Shield, I believe it's my opinion that they collude when it comes to what they pay coaches. And if we had the full data of player pay and coach pay for the last 50 years, if we had access to every penny that everyone made and we charted the growth, the growth for coach pay would be minuscule in comparison to the growth for for player pay. Because they've managed to hold them down. Yeah, would agree with that. And again, the Lions have ne- the Lions have never stepped into this spotlight before. Here we are. We've arrived. Holy shit! We got to pay the coach ten million, fifteen million a year. We've never had to do that before. Yeah, you've never had a coach that was leading the team to seven and two and possible number one seed and possible Super Bowl. It's incomprehensible for the Lions to be in the Super Bowl conversation, but they are. And Dan Campbell's a big reason for it. So, look, I should be getting a cut of his next contract for crying out loud. I'm more interested in the broader picture of the guys who put in all those hours away from their families, give up their lives, and are more important. I've made this point before. Well, this was before Bill Belichick kind of, you know, went, went, went downhill a little bit. But... Jared Goff, $33 million. Bill Belichick, $33 million. What's more valuable to your team? Yeah. Right. Now, now, since then, Goff, Goff is <laughs> – man, well, that's kind of backfired on me. Goff has kind of gone up, and Belichick's kind of gone down. But the point is, a great coach is worth as much as a damn good quarterback. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's not – we know, we know that. Campbell's I mean, let's it. go to the, the 49ers. Worth go with 20, 25, Jimmy Garoppolo was making $27 million. Shanahan wasn't. I mean, we see what Jimmy Garoppolo was, right? I mean, so you're, you're exactly right. 
you know, uh, the great coach, the value to the organization is by far the greatest asset when it's a great coach to, to that football team. And you're right. It was squashed. I'm with you and your belief, your opinion, my opinion that it was colluding with the coaches and, and the contracts there forever. But I feel like that that's done. The market's exploded. One, I think just because. You know, well, there's we'll, see. well I, I do. I'd be shocked. I mean, the Lions would be really stupid not to offer him top tier well, money. We'll see where that goes. I know. But but the way the NFL is top headed, tier, how much should they offer? Him? Well, how I, much I, should they offer? Him? Well, I mean, I, you know, again, it's hard to know exactly what everybody's making here. Right. But I, I, I mean, any somewhere north of 12 million, I would think, is going to be pretty standard. I, I, you know, I mean, easily. So I want to say Alan 15. Lazard money. I want to say you 15. Mean, you mean you know? a great head coach is worth Alan Lazard money? That's what's so ridiculous about this. Your guy Kyle should be making 40 million a year from Jed York. He should be making 40 million a year or more. Think about, think about how valuable it is to have a great team that is in contention every single year, every single year. They've been in contention every year since 2019 because of Kyle Shanahan. And because of the collusion that's baked into this cake for 50 years, he's not even close. I guarantee you he's not close to what he should be getting. When you consider the billions that are fueling this machine, the billions that are flowing into the pockets of ownership, and the money there by CBA, they have to give to the players. See, that's the problem. The coaches don't have a union. The coaches just have to negotiate their best deal. And there's only 32 of those jobs. The owners hold all the money. The owners hold all the power. And I'm making this Dan Campbell argument not because I'm convinced he's the next Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, and Bill Belichick wrapped into one. This is just an opportunity to make the broader point that the coaches have far more value to the National Football League than they get in return. And they give their lives to this. They sacrifice their lives for this. They want to. And maybe they would do it if they were only getting paid minimum wage, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. They do. And they bring value, and they're not getting fair value. That's, the, that's why I went this way, Lions fans. Don't get too pissed off about it. And if your team's smart, he's not getting out the door. But Texas A&M would be wise to call him. And they didn't give Jimbo Fisher $76 million to walk away to make some check-the-box standard basic hire. They're swinging for the fences, and they got the cash to buy a big-ass bat to do it. Yeah, they do. You're right. I mean, they are Aggies, so they're flawed at birth. You know, that's what I would say as a Longhorn. There's issues <laughs> there. I don't know, but but no, you're you're right. It's a it is a, it's a great school. They got big time money, big time oil money. I would think they make the type of co- that call to Dan Campbell. To your point, I think Dan Campbell is perfect for the NFL. And you know what you've said, what I've said, what he's built here. He's on the precipice of of building something sustainable here with Detroit that none of us thought was fathomable and you know and and he is the huge reason and all the the value of what they are and everything there is encompassed by what Dan Campbell's brought to that organization right now so I'm with you and I would think they're going to pony up and see his value when it when it comes time I think you short-circuited my brain with precipice and fathom I know right as I was saying it I was like damn I got big words flowing out of my brain today I don't know what the hell's (laughs) going on here I guess when I heard you know I'm a longhorn I got to show the Aggies about brains right so I I went on a kick there oh man I'm killing the Aggies right now all right all right um Ken Dorsey's available to be hired by Texas A&M. I have right. a feeling he's not going to be getting a call 
from College Station. That's the main topic today. And look, the Bills right now are a hot mess. There's no two other ways around it. Last Monday, nine days ago, Sean McDermott was asked, and I know that this is one of those situations where you can't bear your soul and you can't say when you're asked, are you giving any consideration to changing your play call? Or you can't say, you know what, I am, and I have been. And if this guy doesn't get his act together soon, he's going to be out the door. You can't say that. But still, the sound bites out there of no, <laughs> just no. Any consideration? No. And that was the same day that Ken Dorsey was available to the media for 25 minutes. And I've, I've admitted two straight Tuesdays and now on a Wednesday, I watched that whole thing twice. Because, Chris, I was looking for something. Yeah, I was right. looking for something in his eyes, in his face, in his words to tell me he understands that the house is on fire and he's going to go grab an extinguisher. And there was nothing there. It was word salad. It was cliche. It was non-answers. And it's like, where's this thing going? And where it went was Monday Night Football, a game they should have won. After the game, Sean McDermott said he's going to take 24 hours and think about things in response to the question of whether he's doing something drastic. He did something drastic in less than 12 hours. Dorsey is out. Your first reaction. Uh, I, 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 was I was surprised. I was. I didn't expect a change like that to come at, at this moment. I did not. You know, just with the history of Sean McDermott, you know, the, the press conference and comments made the week before, I thought they'd kind of stay the course and try to weather the storm. And if there was a change at OC, it'd be something that happened after the season. I did not expect it to happen on a, you know, Tuesday morning after a, a brutal Monday night loss that, you know, certainly the blame could be spread around to everybody in that one head coach, defensive coordinator, you know, offensive coordinator, other players, whatever there. So, yeah, that's where – Special teams coordinator. Exactly, special teams special coordinator. Special teams coordinator. Right, so all of that was, you know, on the Buffalo Bills the other night. So uh, th that's where it surprised me. Um, but at the same time, too, you know, I think this has been a – a huge talking point in Buffalo. There's disappointment in that offense altogether. There's disappointment in the direction that Josh Allen is headed right now. And we know he's one of the most talented, if not the most talented quarterback in football. And I think when you add that on to, okay, then our offensive output, which, you know, a lot of people are going to look at and go, wait, they're the seventh offense in football. Yes, but it's not a high-functioning seventh offense in football. It's not surgical. It's not like, oh, they can, just, they, they can just, you know, put their willpower on other teams and just absolutely smash them with surgical pass game or dominant run game or any of that. It's all about what we said all the time. It's about one guy just making plays all the time. And when you watch them, a lot of the times on film, you sit there and go, yeah, you know, a lot of their offense and yards is him just making plays. It's not like it's delivered to him with a great offensive play and he makes a good decision and makes the right read and the appropriate throw. So I think all of it came to a head and the pressure on the situation, national media, uh, the media there in Buffalo. I think uh, McDermott had had enough and I think he probably thought it was almost a distraction to the team to, to make that type of move right there. And it's a tough spot to be in. You were five days away as of Tuesday morning from the next train arriving yeah. in the form of the New York Jets, a pretty damn good defense that could stymie the Buffalo offense. And now Joe Brady takes over as the new coordinator. Let's hear. I want to gather my thoughts on yeah, this a little okay. bit more. 
Let's yeah. hear from Sean McDermott on the decision to fire Ken Dorsey. I'll have some thoughts on the other side. I um, just felt like it was it was time for change. Um, you know, we, we need to be a confident offensive football team and, and, and find consistent production, and, and that's really what it came down to. When you're, when you're not producing, right, that over the course of time, that's, that's what wears, wears confidence levels thin, and, and, um, and I think that's really, um, you know, the goal here is to, is to find that confidence again either before or after you get some, you get some consistent production. And um, I think through the better course of, of 10 games, um, that's really where we were. We were, we were, you know, inconsistent and because of that, not scoring enough points. So, um, you know, that's, that's the, uh, at this point, that's the goal. We've got to find that confidence. We've got to find that energy. We've got to find that um, consistent level of production. So Josh and I speak daily uh, and uh, this decision was made by me and me alone. Yeah. Josh Allen, I think, is going to be affected by this. That's one of the things you have to take into consideration. It was just last week Josh Allen was saying the players need to play better for Ken Dorsey. Everybody knew of the criticism of the offense, and it was being foisted onto Dorsey. And now, the morning after a heartbreaking loss, you find out that you failed your offensive coordinator to the point that he's been fired, and you have to deal with all that. I think Josh is the kind of guy who will take it hard. I agree. And – he doesn't, he doesn't have the luxury of taking it anywhere. Practice today. Practice tomorrow. Practice Friday. Get ready for the Jets, the team that beat us in week one and started the Jenga Tower wobbling, a game they should have won easily with Aaron Rodgers exiting after only four snaps with the torn Achilles. So this, to me, I wasn't blown away by it. And it was funny. I had the story ready to publish of – Sean McDermott's comments about possibly doing something drastic. Give me 24 hours. And just as I'm getting ready to post the damn thing, Pete Demolitis texted, Dorsey's out. It's like, what the hell? Holy crap. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't 24 hours. So it does feel rash. And what I was going to say before, Chris, between Leslie Frazier getting that weird soft firing at the scouting combine, remember right, that? Right. Yeah. He's going to take a year off and – He's going to pursue other interests. He's going to spend time with his family. All that bull crap that gets thrown out there when they don't want to say they fired somebody. Right. I felt like he was scapegoated for last year, and now Dorsey's being scapegoated for this year. And when you peel away the two coordinators, the cheese eventually – I'm mixing my metaphors. I don't care. The cheese eventually stands alone. And at some point – and I think this is why McDermott did it. I think McDermott realized if he didn't throw Dorsey overboard now – it only increased the likelihood that McDermott's getting thrown overboard when the season ends. Well, I, I mean, listen, he has his reasons. I, I, you know, I think they are justified. I understand that. You know, I mean, there's a lot there that we, we could unpack. Uh, I, I mean, one, the first thing just off of what you said there with McDermott and all that, I would hope there's no rash decision on Sean McDermott. You know, like we've talked about in the past, yeah, this year's not been great, but damn, Buffalo's as good as they've been in the history of their organization other than four years with Marv Levy in the start of the 90s. They've built something pretty damn special here. They've come to the end of the shelf life of this football team. Have here. they? Have they? Well, how special is it right now? Well, I know, but yeah, they did. They went thirteen and fourteen and three last year. They went, you know, they they look at what 
but doesn't matter. Okay, doesn't matter. well, they've been really, right they've now. been one of the top teams in football. I wouldn't make a decision and go, wait, I'm going to erase, you know, the other five years I saw before this when we were like this and going upwards and then just erase it all right now when we're, you know, just barely on the outside of the AFC playoffs looking in and thinking about I'm going to make a rash decision and fire the head coach who's brought us up to here to this point. Now they got to do some juggling and some readjusting. I get that, but I don't think like, you know, I don't think about Sean McDermott being fired as a possibility yet. I understand there's some things here now to start supporting oh, I do. the conversation. I wouldn't go there. I'm just telling you that. All right. So then, yeah. then you get into the Josh Allen aspect of what you're saying. Yeah, I think he is going to take it hard. There's no doubt about that. He's a guy that you know I know well enough to know he's highly competitive. He expects a lot out of himself. And then he's got great respect for his elders, his coaches. He wants to do well by them. And he, you know, I'm sure he feels like he personally could have been better, and he's let Ken Dorsey down. But like you said, he's got to readjust. And either way, you know, he's not headed in the right direction personally right now as a football player. Now, not all that's because of him. A lot of that is because of Dorsey. A lot of that is because what the things we've talked about in Buffalo, where there's lack of cream of the crop talent there to ever help Josh Allen on both sides of the ball. Right. Even the other guys, you know, other great quarterbacks right now in football have defensive guys who make plays for them all the time. Right. I mean, Patrick Mahomes can go the whole second half against the Dolphins and not score a point and they can still win a game. That doesn't ever happen in Buffalo. That doesn't ever happen. So he's not afforded the luxury of ever being off or anything like that because he is the freaking team. And, you know, because of that, he and maybe a Ken Dorsey not being good enough and maybe not putting the hot poker on his ass just like a Brian Dayball would, you know, he's lost control a little bit. He's lost that line of aggressive and reckless, and he's going over to the reckless side a little too much right now. And then I think when you couple that with the offense and you go, wait, what the hell are they – like every game, and I say this on my podcast a lot, Mike, and I know you don't listen and you shouldn't because you have to listen to me enough. But I'm always my thing with them, too, is what are they trying to accomplish? You know, like, what is it when I watch them on film? I go, you know, I watch other good offensive coordinators. They set things up. They play play plays through other plays. They set plays up by showing you something. And with Buffalo, I just go, what is it they're trying to accomplish? Oh, it's just put Josh Allen in the shotgun and make magic happen. And they've lost four to the last six games because basically all six teams they've played have gone, we're just going to slow down Allen, and we don't think anything else on the offense can beat us. And I think that's where Sean McDermott finally got to the end of his wits here and was like, wait, you know, yeah, 17 is not doing his best, but damn, there's a lot on him. And it, can, it seems like they're becoming more and more on him instead of it going the other way. And I don't think that was a recipe for success there in Buffalo. Well, and look what happened on Monday night. They shift into the no huddle, and it works. They start running the ball repeatedly Yes, when the game was on the line and right. down 21-15, and yeah. it works. You said this when Dak Prescott suffered that thumb injury that knocked him out for five weeks in 2022. Yeah. Not having Dak Prescott available forced the Cowboys to be more creative offensively the way they aren't with Dak because their attitude is Dak will figure it out. Dak will make something happen. Dak will make a throw. We don't have to do the kinds of things that a Kyle Shanahan does where we do the aggressive, detailed game planning to 
keep a defense on its heels because we've got a guy in Dak Prescott. That was the attitude that you said the Cowboys had, and yeah. I agreed with you. Yeah. They, they, they rely too much. They get too soft. They don't work as hard as they need to because they just put too much faith in one guy. Right. And look, I don't know. Right now, I, I'm going to go back to this idea of M- McDermott being in trouble. They're 5-5. Five and five, Yeah. And b- before the season, we both sat in our respective seats and said Patriots fourth place, Bills third place. Right. Now, right now, they're currently second place because the Jets are 4-5. and five, But – no Either playoffs. Way. No playoffs. I didn't Buffalo say playoffs. Bills. Yeah, they got right. the Chiefs. Yeah, they got the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Dolphins as four of their final seven games, and they've got five losses. And I think seven losses is the maximum. You may not even be able to get away with seven losses because there's eleven teams right now at five hundred or better in the AFC, and they're then they're at five hundred. They're at the bottom of that cluster of teams. They got a lot to do, and. And so l- let me ask you the question this way. Do you really think going from yeah. Ken Dorsey right. to Joe Brady, who was not Bill Walsh when we saw him in Carolina? No, right. Whose who's biggest, who's biggest you know, resume item is LSU, and yeah. before that, Joe enough time with Sean Payton to maybe pick up some stuff from him. Right. Is it really going to get better? No. Starting this weekend, four days from now, is it going to get better? What's going to ha- What's going to change? Well, I, I don't know if it'll get better. Maybe there'll be more of a little bit of a concise plan and just how we want to play a little bit way, you know, a little bit more of a let's play this way just to win the football game instead of like, hey, Josh Allen is awesome and let's just put everything on him and he'll make plays and deliver for us and we'll come out on top. What we're seeing right now is yeah. They can't play that way. They got to change something up there. And that's where, you know, maybe he can change Allen and his thought process a little bit, call plays and give a different message to Allen to make him think about the game a little differently that way. And then tie plays together, right? I mean, that's the thing that I always look at at Buffalo. And, you know, there's Josh Allen in a lot of games. Oh, play action pass and do it all this. And I want to go, they can't even run the football, right? Let alone they're in the shotgun every time. And, you know, like I said, you watch other offenses and it's, you could see a plan being set as far as how they're attacking and what they're setting up, right? You look at Ben Johnson and the Lions. We were talking about them. Or Shanahan is, hey, run to the right, run to the right, run to the right. Oh, then it's the fake run to the right and the reverse. Oh, back to the run to the right. Oh, fake to the run to the right, big play action pass, right? Oh, dress it up a little bit. Hey, the run to the right again. Oh, hey, hey, the oh, it's the play action pass. We dressed it up in the new formation, and then we, hey, it's that same play action pass off the run to the right, but now it's a different play action pass down the field. There's just none of that in Buffalo. It's stand there in the shotgun, and it's, okay, where's Stephon Diggs? And then can he throw a laser to him? And if he can't, who the hell is going to do anything else out there? I mean, that's kind of how it goes there, and that's where maybe, you know, Joe Brady can bring a little semblance of a rhythm and make a defense think about a few other things on the offense rather than let's just contain the bombs from Josh Allen and let's not let him scramble outside the pocket and – and after that, then we feel good. And hopefully he can give them another avenue of, of you know, success to, that makes defenses think a little bit. It does feel at times like it's a random play generator. That's what I mean. Wheel. It's, it's dial. It's, di- it's like, let me, here's the Rolodex. Ooh, I like that play. Let's spin a wheel. One. Right, exactly. Spin the wheel. Right. Buy a vowel. 
Yes, and you know, you Mike, mentioned Stephon Diggs. The other, the other thing to to, to the whole thing too. I just see like you know, I see people out there ranking Dayball's offense with the Bills to Ken Dorsey's. Right, I've seen that on social media because they're very equal in their ranks. And I would go, yeah, they're not really equal in their ranks, really. Josh Allen and what they've done. Yeah, what? What do you want to say? Go ahead. You could push back on There's me. only one rank that matters. Yes. No, I'm agreeing with yes, you. Yes, right. That's right. bullshit. It is bullshit. Wins and losses. It's, eyeball test. Right. It's a fundamentally exactly. different team without Brian Dayball When Dayball was the offensive coordinator in big games, Buffalo thrived. With Ken Dorsey as the offensive coordinator in big games, if Josh Allen didn't thrive and just make magic, they didn't thrive at all. I mean, you think about even some of their wins this year and what they did. The Giants game, right? That one. You know, those are going to go down at the end of the game as, oh, yeah, Dorsey won, and look at these stats. You watched the last two drives of the game, of that game. You came in the Monday morning going, Josh, well, did you, Josh Allen, those last two drives, I mean, some of those plays, those throws. It wasn't like, whoa, what a game plan, and this guy was open over the middle, and then this guy was open, and then they threw a screen here, and then it was Josh Allen ran this way and threw the ball that way, and Josh Allen ran this way and threw it the backside of the guy's head perfectly. It's always that you know let alone and even games like Jacksonville Jaguars or some of these other games that we can dive into there's a lot of BS late game stats that yeah they make the end of the year rankings of the rankings look good but in the competitive part of the football game when it was still in the balance the offense disappeared and that's where the context matters in the situation. And there's too many mouth breathers and idiots online right now that are just buying into numbers and ranks. And that's, <laughs> that's, that shouldn't be. And, and see, and, 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 and look, I got into this sport 50 years ago because of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And I've had more agony of defeat than thrill of victory over the years. But all that other stuff is window dressing to me. The stats, the analytics, the fantasy football, whether they covered the spread or not, I don't give a shit about any of that. I want to enjoy the game and watch the game and see who wins and see who loses. And then we go on to the next week and we see how the standings fluctuate up and down. I still got the magnet boards in my office from when I was like 12 years old with the little helmet that you, you, you change the standings based upon where they are. I used to do that every week when I was a kid. It's the race for playoff positioning and it's the race for a Super Bowl win. Are you in that race or are you not? Ten weeks into the season, the Bills are barely hanging on. And they have looked like crap. They had those three straight games against the Raiders, the Commanders, and the Dolphins. That was their high point, 48-20 over the Dolphins. Something happened on the way to London. They lost something. They lost their luggage. And they can't find it. They have been mediocre at best yeah. since coming back. From London. The games they've won have been like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Man, you almost lost that one, didn't you? You almost lost to the the Giants, who, if we had relegation, would be in the XFL right now. (laughs) And you, with the Bucks, you let the Bucks hang around, and they almost, you know, if, if, Chris Godwin bothers to think that at some point a football is actually going to fall out of the sky on a Hail Mary pass, they might have lost that game, too. So they, they have looked. Horrible relative to the standard that's been set. That's the problem. When you set a standard and you have high expectations, and this is the team that was the favorite last year, Josh Allen, MVP favorite, Bills, Super Bowl favorite. And I I was mad about that. It's like, why are you putting this pressure on the Bills? What have they done to deserve this pressure? Put it on the Bengals. They were just in the Super Bowl. 
this year there isn't the same pressure because I think people were like, what do we got here? Yeah. And what we have after 10 games is a team that is mediocre at best, changing a tire on a moving car, hoping that Joe Brady will do something. You know, so much of what I've been hearing, whether it's Josh Allen, Ken Dorsey, the attitude is we're just going to try harder. We'll get the hell out of here with try harder. Try harder doesn't matter. You got to do something different. You don't just do the same thing with more gusto. You got to do something different yeah. to change the right. situation you're right. in. Right. I think, and Mike, I think that's, that's the point. I think that's why McDermott makes the change. Because I think back to what you said since London, this has been one of my themes on my podcast that you don't listen to, is that since that game, Jacksonville showed everybody what to do to defend Josh Allen. And it still was going on on Monday night with the Denver Broncos. If you watch the, these games as of late, ever since the Jacksonville game, really, for the most part, teams go, we can't let them throw 50-yard bombs if we take that away. And then if we just like kind of mush rush them to where we don't give them lanes to run up the middle, all right? And then even our edge guys, even like here, right there, they, the edge guys don't really want to go past Josh Allen because they just wait and go, Wait, no, if Diggs isn't open, nobody else will be open. So let's just make, let's get ready to make a break when he runs to the edge. Look, again, here's another one, right? Everything is about two things. Don't let him throw a bomb. Don't let him run around like crazy. And McDermott has to be going, wait, teams are playing like this and we don't have another answer. We don't have a screen game. We don't have a run game to talk about and any of that. And so there's no other answers. And what has that done? It's put more pressure on Josh Allen to where... Yes, he's been more careless with the football and trying to make things happen and probably let his frustrations get the best of him a little bit. And it's all kind of, you know, snowballing downhill from that facet. And, you know, to let your point is, there's never a, a zig to the zag. There's never any a yin to the yang with them. And I think that's where McDermott looks at it and goes, wait, if I had to defend our offense, damn, I'd feel good about it. I only got to worry about one damn thing. And that's where I think he probably lost his wits and had to make the move. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again. Go for the United States. Unbelievable. And when that stage is Paris. Anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? In Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Let's hear from Sean McDermott. He also spoke yesterday about where Josh Allen is right now. I think that's an important yeah, we gotta thing get to there. hear given what right. Chris just said. And given, and given what I'm going to say, given what I'm going to say, after we hear from Sean McDermott, here he is. Yeah, I mean, probably not where we'd like him to be. Um, and that's, that's natural based on some of the results that we've gotten this year, some of the results he's gotten, um, some of the turnovers in particular. And, uh, but I'm confident that he'll find it. And, and I think, again, just some of the new energy around our offense, my hope is – 
Um, and my aim is that it'll, it'll create a little bit of confidence, clarity, and, and, and ability to anticipate it as opposed to, in some cases, react. And, um, and I think that's what a part of playing the quarterback position is all about. Okay, Chris, I'm going to say something now that you probably won't like to hear. Yeah. And you're probably going to push back, and that's fine. But it needs to be said. At some point, at some point, the problem lies with 17. At some point, it's on him. At some point, when you lead the league in interceptions, you can't be top three in the Chris Sims quarterback rankings. You can't lead the league in interceptions and be one of the best quarterbacks in football. At some point... If you're in the middle of all this chaos and there isn't a plan, you can't be deferential. You can't sit there when Stephon Diggs is gesticulating in your face. You got to you got to you got to stand up and take charge of your team at some point. And I don't see that from Josh Allen. He's too much of a bystander to this process. Great talent. He's out there running around trying to make magic happen, and he at times is on the wrong side of what his physical abilities would permit. Sure. We see that from guys. Sure. They think they can do anything until they find out that they can't. But I hold him to the standard of – and we'll put Mahomes in there. I think Mahomes is a guy. If, there's, if stuff's going on that isn't right, he's going to take charge. Peyton Manning. Put Peyton Manning in the situation in Buffalo with an offense that has no rhythm, no flow, no strategy. There's relying too much on me. At some point, Peyton Manning's going to be flipping chairs over and knocking tables down and telling Ken Dorsey and telling Sean McDermott and telling Joe Brady, this is how it's going to be. At some point, Josh Allen can't just be the guy riding the bus. At some point, he's got to take the wheel of the bus if he's going to be as great as he can be. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I, you say a lot of good things there. I, I understand where you're coming from there. I, I don't think it's, it's it's naturally in him to be the I'm going to mother F guys and get on guys and ride them all the time, you know, when things aren't great, maybe like a Brady or a Manning was. I don't think that's within in him. Maybe he needs to And be. maybe he needs to get it to maybe, be. Maybe he needs to. I, I agree. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm agreeing with you. Uh, uh, totally. I, I think it's probably yeah. a yeah. part of where he's at. I think he's a leader in the fact that, you know, he, the locker room, everybody loves him. He's a great guy. They see his work ethic. He points the finger at self, I think, very quickly when things don't go well right maybe too much to your point to where he's got to be like hey what the f can you guys run the ball can we block a little better can somebody else get open can you catch the ball when you're wide open over the middle and I throw it right between your two hands all right like yeah there's probably got to be a little bit of that you know I would agree with you there uh, but that it's not it's not in everybody or it has to be some sort of moment or some sort of leader above you that emboldens you there, right? Like, I don't think Tom Brady was that guy. But I think he learned in New England through Belichick and all that, and he became that guy. He had somebody that pushed him that way, Charlie Weiss, you know, and, and that made him that way. So he hasn't had that yet. And I, I don't disagree with you in that aspect of, you know, maybe he needs to be a little bit more of a, I don't want to say squeaky wheel, but a guy that demands more from everybody else in the locker room along with himself, and it just puts everybody on edge. That that certainly is something I look at and go, yeah, he could get better in that department. No doubt about that, Mike. Quarterback's in a unique position to hold teammates accountable. It's one thing to hear from the coaches. It's the other thing to hear it from the quarterback. And you're either wired that way or you're not. 
And I think it's one of the ingredients for true greatness, for legacies that include multiple Super Bowl wins. At this rate, Josh Allen's not even going to get to one, right? They thought he was going to surpass Jim Kelly by being the first guy to win one. Kelly went to four. Allen may never get to one. And I think there's still hope. Yeah. But, you know, this is my other point. And, and I know that, I know that uh, we, we disagree on whether and to what extent Sean McDermott should be in trouble. And this isn't a McDermott take as much as it is something I've said before. And, Chris, I've come to believe it more and more strongly in today's NFL. The way the game works, the way the rules are increasingly skewed toward fueling the passing game. Points and yards and points and yards, and that's how you win with a quarterback that can get it done. I would never hire a defensive head coach. I would never do it because when you're the defensive head coach, look at what's going on in Houston right now. Texans fans are going to get upset with me. C.J. Stroud's great. Well, Bobby Slowick's going to end up being a head coach this year or next year because of C.J. Stroud. So in comes a new offensive coordinator. Maybe you get lucky. Maybe you don't. And what happened with Buffalo, they had the perfect guy in Brian Dayball. He becomes the head coach of the Giants. And Ken Dorsey, not getting it done, obviously. And look, I had doubts about Dorsey from the moment he had that hissy fit in the coach's box after they lost the game to the Dolphins. I mean, it was troubling. He's throwing stuff around like, like there was a snake loose in there or something. I mean, it was just it was like you see it. It's like, what the hell was that? Like, that's, dude. Like, you got to, you got to, you know, this ain't life or death. And I just, something was missing. Something was missing with Dorsey. And, you know, you get 25, 26 games to come to the conclusion that he's just not the guy. I would want head coach who's the offensive guy, the quarterback guru who is joined at the hip with the quarterback and will be there for as long as the quarterback. And take him on that ride, Chris. Push him on that path. Be there for the full development. Look at what Kirk Cousins became before he got injured in two years with Kevin O'Connell. Look at what Josh Dobbs became in two weeks with Kevin O'Connell. The Vikings don't have to worry about Kevin O'Connell leaving unless Texas A&M calls him, too. <laughs> Who the hell knows? But that, for today's NFL, that's what you need. Because once you get everything working, there goes the coordinator. Now we got to hire somebody else and hope that he can continue the overall development, it's not a one-season thing. I know each team is kind of one year at a time, one year at a time. But when you have a quarterback that's going to be there 10 or 15 years, you've got a broader career development that I think it's, it's better to have like Sean Payton and Drew Brees joined at the hip. It's better to have Mike McDaniel and Tua Tonga-Vailoa together. And, and I just think that's a general observation that may affect decisions in Buffalo and may affect decisions elsewhere. I just think it's the reality of today's NFL. Because you don't want to find yourself in a spot where the guy that was the closest one to your quarterback and presiding over his success is now gone. Yeah, I, and, I, listen, and I think that's one of the big reasons why the Bills have fallen off. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with a ton of what you're saying. I mean, we know, yeah, the NFL, it's, it's in about the offense and the quarterback and the yards and fantasy and all of that right now, right? And you look at the top teams in football, and most of them are – coached by you know, offensive coaches, right? The ones where we talk about, like Baltimore special teams head coach, right? The Pittsburgh Steelers, right? You get into them, okay? You talk about the Seattle Seahawks. That's another team, right? But it's few and far between. 
And my point there is just I wouldn't get rid of Sean McDermott just to take a shot on, oh, I, I think we might get the next offensive genius. I'm not sure. That, that's what I'm, I would say there, right? Now, there's other issues that have all played into this, but, like, I, I understand where you're going with your thought all there. But, again, I, I look at it in two and some of it, and I go, Sean McDermott certainly deserves blame, but you've heard us complain about the roster and lack of blue-chip players, and maybe they've hung on to the lifelong line of this team a little too long, thinking that, you know, hey, we're so close, we might get there, instead of, like, the Chiefs who looked at it and went, wait, we went to the Super Bowl, we went to the Super Bowl, we lost to the Bengals in the AFC Championship game, we got to get young, and they became the youngest team in football and then went to the Super Bowl next year and won it. That was amazing. I think they've held on to this group maybe a little too long. And then to your point, too, about talking about, you know, you know, uh, uh, hey, you got a quarterback, firepower, the where the league's headed. I don't feel like they've ever gone in all in on that department with Josh Allen. You know, because Josh Allen's so good, they've kind of go, eh, he'll make the offense work. Let's try to spread the wealth everywhere a little bit. And I don't think that's really helped their football team. I'd go, hey, make the defense a little less worse and make the offense a little bit better, and they'll be so awesome and unstoppable. They'll have such an elite unit there that the defense will look better because the offense is going to make how teams change how they play. You know, There's things there that I just don't agree with how they've approached it all the way, let alone, you know, I don't think there's been top-tier talent next to Josh Allen as compared to any of the other top quarterbacks in football, and I think that's where they have failed him to a degree, in my opinion. Well, they definitely have a problem because one of the things that I've detected in the aftermath of the Monday night debacle with the 12 guys on the field and Miles Simmons and I spent a whole hour talking about this yesterday, Bill's Mafia has turned. It was Bill's Mafia joining with the team in the circling of the wagons and giving the finger to anyone like us who would say, you know what, they're not as good as they need to be. Up until Monday night, Bill's Mafia would defend to the death whatever anyone on the outside would say about oh, their I beloved know. team. I now they're ready. they're ready to get rid of all of them. Get rid of all of them. Fire everybody. What's going on here? This is unacceptable. And it all happened on Monday night. And that may be the easiest explanation as to why Sean McDermott did what he did yesterday. He had to do something because everyone like. went right. from being yeah. from being defend, defend, defend to attack, attack, attack yes. in one game. Yes. And and it'd been building they want Josh Allen to run more, and I think they they could use him more. I know they're worried about keeping him healthy, but it's a hell of a weapon. Yeah. It's a hell of a way to keep the defense on its heels right. when Josh Allen takes off. We don't see that much. Maybe we'll see it more with Joe Brady. I got to ask you about the Trayvon Diggs tweets. There were two of them that made waves and are still up. You know, the first one came immediately after the game on Monday night. Trayvon Diggs, Cowboys cornerback who has a torn ACL, is out for the year. His brother, Stephon. Number 14 with the Bills. Man, 14, got to get up out of there. I wondered the next morning whether or not it would be deleted because if I'm Stefan, maybe I text or call Trayvon and say, you know, I got enough to worry about. I don't need this out there. I don't need people speculating, but it's still up there. And then this one, let's not forget he, i.e. Josh Allen, didn't start going off till bro got there. What would you think of those? Well, I, I mean, I don't agree with it at all. I mean, that's the first thing. You know, uh, I mean, Josh Allen, I mean, uh, yeah, okay, did he start going off when Stefan Diggs went there? Yeah, it was year three, right? Brian Dayball was there, 
everything changed. So, I mean, you know, okay, there, there's something to that. But if you're asking me, like, who's making who in that relationship, I would certainly say that Josh Allen is making Stefan Diggs more than the other way around. I mean, that, that, that's not even close. Stefan Diggs is really good. Nobody considers Stefan Diggs like a top five receiver in football. Nobody, right? It just, it, so, you know, that's where I don't agree with Trayvon Diggs in that situation. You know, you top 10-ish conversation, sure. You know, I think there's other people that would have him outside the top 10. Uh, he's really damn good football player. We get that. And, yes, Josh Allen's stats went off uh, when Stephon Diggs got there. Stephon Diggs' stats also went off when he got there. Okay? Now, before Stephon Diggs got there, they did go to the playoffs in Josh Allen's second year. And, 20, and he threw 20 touchdowns and nine interceptions. And he was still raw and doing crazy things. But that's where, you know, I don't love that narrative there. And again, Stefan Diggs has certainly been a great big help to Josh Allen. To me, the point is there's not enough. There's never a run game. It's Josh Allen is the run game. You know, there's never been a really legit number two receiver, as you've heard me say. Gabe Davis is a really good number three. I think the whole world is finally seeing that. You know, it only took them two and a half years after a divisional playoff game where he was just wide open the whole second half. And people thought, oh, my gosh, he's a star. And I want to just know it's horrible defense and he's wide open. I don't know what else to tell you, right? But you're seeing that. So, yeah, I don't agree with that. And I don't love, like, here's the other thing. That there's, like, so much BS, like, stats and numbers being thrown out there. You know, oh, since 2018, Josh Allen with turnovers. And since 20, like, it's his rookie year, 2018. Why are we counting that against him? Who the hell cares? I wouldn't even want to count the second year against him when you talk about stats. Josh Allen, when he got Brian Dayball and got comfortable in the NFL, and we knew he came into the league really raw. Okay, year two was raw. And you see here, it's 20 touchdown passes, nine interceptions, right? 2020, it jumps to a whole nother level, right? And he becomes clearly one of the best quarterbacks in football and that continues all the way into last year where again it was damn good as well you know and of course all the pressure that's on him in the run game and big moments and all that I mean the offense is all about him there is nothing else so I don't totally agree with Trayvon Diggs take there Stephon Diggs turns 32 weeks from today I don't know how many years he has left in his prime but we saw what happened when he decided he didn't want to be in Minnesota anymore. Tweeted his way out. Same day Kirk Cousins got his first extension. Probably not a coincidence. And I think that we need to be watching for what happens with Stephon Diggs and the Bills after this season. Barring a regime change in Buffalo, he's going to want out. He may want out anyway. He may have already decided, I don't care what they do. I don't care. I don't care what happens. I'm ready to move on. I want to go to a place where the deck is better stacked in my favor where I'm getting a Patrick Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson or, you know, one of the other guys who is operating in an offense that is getting the most out of the quarterback and the players around him. We'll just see. But the fact that those tweets are out there and are still out there, and I know Trayvon's his own man, and maybe the Stephon Diggs, Trayvon Diggs relationship isn't one where Stephon would tell him, come on, I don't need this. But this isn't like – we had the brush fire in June that still makes no sense where he left the team facility on the day of a mandatory minicamp. Sean McDermott says, I'm very concerned he's not here. And then they spend weeks trying to make it sound like there was nothing to see here. It was no big deal with some weird misunderstanding. I don't know. There's something there. And when they resolved it, my take was they'll put a pin in it 
pending what happens this season. And what's happened so far this season isn't the kind of thing that's conducive to Stephon Diggs wanting to stay in Buffalo for 2024. I think as of right now, if you asked him, he'd say, I agree with Trayvon. It's time for me to get up out of here. It's time for us to get up out of here, but not not for the day, just for a couple minutes, although we have burned I feel like there's more things we need to unpack about this whole thing. That's what's crazy, but I know we got to move on and talk about other stuff. Well, we get a great Thursday night game. It's so great. Bengals Ravens. We're going to start talking about it today. We got some stuff to say about that and also what's going on in Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett. We'll discuss both of those things when PFT Live continues right after this. 